How are GPs navigating the challenging fundraising market we're in at the moment? What alternative pools of capital can they harness to meet their targets? And how can they approach ESG reporting and the democratization of the private equity industry using technology and data? We'll be discussing all this and more today in this new episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. Hello, listener, and welcome to today's episode of the Unquote Private Equity Podcast. My name is Iro Pertzakulaki. I'm private equity reporter at Merger Market and Unquote, and I'll be your host for today. Today, we'll be talking all about fundraising and the outlook for the rest of the year with a guest interview with two representatives of fund administrator Aztec Group, the group's managing director, James Gao, and the head of innovation, Tom Bennett. Raising capital continues to be a weak spot in the sponsor landscape, and we'll be hearing some insights from James Gao and Tom Bennett later on the topic. Indeed, with tight LPs allocations during the current exits backdrop, unquote data shows that a total of 33 funds targeting Europe have closed so far this year. This signals a 48% drop compared to the equivalent period last year. So for this episode, I spoke to James and Tom about the trends they're seeing in the fundraising market and the tools both LPs and GPs are using to navigate the current environment. As the group's managing director, James leads Aztec's client experience, marketing and business development teams. He plays a key part in developing the group's service offering and client focus. With a background in professional services, he joined the group in 2020 from global real estate firm JLL, where he held several senior roles. Prior to his time with JLL, he spent 12 years with PwC and EY in Australia and the UK, holding senior positions in account management, client experience and market solutions. As head of innovation, Tom focuses on key market trends, scanning the latest technology to identify how it could translate into opportunities for Aztec and its clients. He brings into the role experience in designing and delivering growth and technology-driven change. Previously, he was the Chief Operating Officer at JLL's UK Investment and Agency Businesses, where he led the digital transformation agenda. Now, let's go ahead and listen to the interview. So now let's start by addressing the challenging fundraising environment we are in at the moment. And James, you might be able to give us some of your insights in terms of how the current macro backdrop and the tight LPs allocations, uh, how does that affect GPs and how do are they navigating the fundraising market at the moment? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's certainly a very, very different environment than what we've seen in the last couple of years. Um, I think every part of the market is feeling it, some some definitely more than others. Um, you know, if you look at a private equity market, you know, first half fundraisings are down probably 20 to 30% from what we've seen in, in, in markets previously. Uh, there's different parts of that that we're seeing there. You know, the middle markets is probably faring up quite well, actually. Well, relatively, <laughs> comparatively well. Um, you know, I think they're able to close and finance deals um, in what's a very leverage constrained market. 
right? But, um, you know, if you're in the emerging manager space, that's a really tough space to be. And actually, if we go back kind of three, four years in terms of our clients, we, we've seen a huge amount of growth in, in that space as people came through what were quite good markets. Um, there are lots and lots of firms obviously in the market at present fundraising. Um, the reality is there's not enough capital to go around for all of the different um all of the different raises that are out there. Um, and, you know, we're seeing a lot of different approaches to how people are engaging with the LPs, which I'm sure we'll go on to later, uh, but also engaging with the market more broadly. Um, I guess we're also seeing, and this is this will be no news to anybody, the, the, the exit market is incredibly quiet. So whereas there has been a huge amount of activity in that exit market for a, for, for a number of years, um, you know, there's trillions of unrealized value out there globally at the moment um, and it doesn't look like for the for the foreseeable future that's necessarily changing from from what we're hearing um, it also kind of differs across maybe some of the asset classes so whilst you know whilst it's clear that there's struggles in the private equity market and and, and all of our clients would, would would be telling us that and all of our clients would be working hard to make sure they're working with the LPs in, in innovative ways and, and making sure they're staying close to those clients. You know, it's also really challenging across some of the other areas. So you look, look into the real assets market, you know, we're seeing some of the numbers in the real assets market we haven't seen for, for many, many years. You know, the kind of global transaction volumes have fallen, depending on which stats you read, probably about 50%, right? Um, which means that that kind of ability for, to... Uh, to, to, to move capital through, um, but also that has a has a big impact on some of the fundraisings that that, that, that we're seeing as well. So, um, and again, you know, we probably haven't seen the bottom of that market as of yet. Uh, and actually, Europe is probably feeling that harder than perhaps the rest of the market as well. Um, one slight, probably bright spot though, is the private credit market. Um, so, you know, we are seeing positive numbers there. Uh, we you know our, our own our own stats internally and, and the kind of client conversations we are having would say that you know, there are some positive areas there and, and actually we're seeing much more activity coming through in, in, in the credit space, both from established credit managers who are trying to you know grow in this market, but also others maybe coming from a private equity background who are trying to establish themselves in that in that private credit market and who have probably been at that for the last two years as they look at as they looked at diversification strategies. Uh, so yeah, I think Fair to say, it's a it's a very it, it's a difficult market at the moment, and and you know a lot of our clients and people we're talking to the market are having to to work hard to make sure they can um to to, to make sure they can meet the requirements of of the LP market um and also kind of keep active. That's very interesting. Also, what you said about the private uh, credit market, I guess it has to be managers that already have had some presence instead of just appearing out of out of nowhere. But it seems to be a very interesting time yeah well, i think that's something i mean i don't think that's only relevant for the credit market at the moment you know i think managers with strong track records who can show a history of success you know are, are actually continuing to raise yes it might be a bit slower yes it it might be a bit more difficult yes there might be some more caveats around how that how that happens um but they are continuing to raise i think you know if you're in that emerging space where you've only had one fund before or even or even coming with a with a new fund it's a very very dif- difficult market at the moment and when you're you're talking about success i guess we've changed the way we're approaching success when it comes to fundraising with many managers for example um, having to cut short their fundraising or change their targets along the way so i was wondering how you think the lps and the broader industry sees that phenomenon that trend I think from the from the LP perspective, there is 
you know, it's probably a good position for a lot of LPs to be in at the moment, right? There is a there is less capital to go around than there is product out there for that capital to go in. So I think the LPs are able to make um, decisions on are able to make their decisions based on on returns and 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 the and the returns I think that fund will will produce and actually are probably. Got plenty of options that that, that, they, that they can go that they can go with, and actually are probably able to to talk about very different terms than perhaps would have happened two to three years ago. So, from an LP perspective, it's probably a quite positive place place mm-hmm. to be. So, it's not necessarily seen anymore as a massive disaster if you change your target. I think everybody's more open to understand that in the current market, you might need to readjust and be flexible. I don't think there is the shame maybe that would be in a very strong market. Yeah, we're certainly seeing people be far more flexible around what those targets might be. Um, yes, everybody might go out with a with a clear indication of the size of fund they might want to get to or, or, or a number of investors. Um, but I think the current market we're in means that flexibility has to be has, has to be built, built into any kind of fundraising activity. Um, and that might be the sources of the capital. It might be... Um, the, uh, the amount of closings that happen, it, it might be some of the terms that come in around that, but, but mm-hmm. certainly we are seeing far more flexibility in that process at the moment. That sounds uh, interesting. And uh, what alternative can GPs harness in the current market? Um, for example, we see um, Middle Eastern capital or retail investors becoming some valid uh, alternatives for European GPs. Is that something you're seeing as well? Yes, yeah, so I think uh, Middle Eastern capital has been around for, for you know I don't think that that's necessarily a, a, a new phenomenon it's certainly a, a a pool of capital which our clients have have been been engaging with for some time obviously there is a a large source of potential in, in, in investment com- coming out of that region and I think we are certainly seeing some of our clients particularly ones that have probably had more focus around Europe in the past expand their horizons out not only to the Middle East but also out to further into into Asia um, and also into the US, where perhaps they have not gone gone there. So you know, certainly, as people are starting to to look to to raise different levels of capital, they are having to to look more more, more in, into different markets. And the Middle East is certainly one that is being talked about quite a lot. We're hearing a lot of interest around the retail market, and I think that kind of retail market needs breaking down a bit. So when we talk to some of our clients, some of them not interested at all which is fine, you know, got a stable investor base. Others are absolutely on the front foot looking at how they can diversify into that space. But when we talk about that kind of retailization, we're still really talking about that untapped potential within the high net worth space. When you look at the kind of figures involved, there's anywhere up to kind of 20 trillion over the next few years of capital in that retail space that's addressable. So some of the front runners, your kind of KKRs of the world, they're already on the front for creating funds to address those markets. I think dealing mainly with the kind of mid-market, there's a lot of eyes to see how that works out, whether it's going to be successful, what some of the implications are of uh, creating funds focused on those sectors. And it's really great to actually talk to our clients about the practical implications of starting to target that that pool of investors. But it absolutely has increased. You know, we we work with our network of um, various law firms across, across the jurisdictions that we operate in. They're all seeing an uptick in the amount of applications for those types of funds. 
But I guess there is more sophistication now. And do you see GPs or fund managers being more open to that and understanding the implications a lot more? I think it's starting to happen. Um, there's there's definitely openness um, from uh, a lot of our clients, but there's also, I think, still some hesitation um, and perhaps maybe just a, a lack of interest or desire to move into that space. It's a very different world to operate in. And actually, when you think about a lot of brands that exist within, say, private equity, they're not known to a lot of these investor types. So one of the key questions that comes up in discussion is how do we actually create the right branding around what we're doing and the education so that those types of investors can invest in our fund. It's not all about the structure that we should use, where it should be domiciled, what processes, systems, and tools should we use? Because all of that is really important. But actually, fundamentally, have we got a product that people can recognize, identify, and want to invest in? That's one of the key discussion points. That makes sense. And then going back to LPs and if the, the view of investors, another area of interest is how institutional LPs approach the ESG reporting and how GPs in Europe are navigating ESG data collection and reporting. So from your insights, how do you see this process going on? Yeah, it's been, it's been interesting to kind of chart this for the last couple of years. So Tom and I have both done quite a lot internally at Tech on this as we as we launched our own proposition uh, about eighteen months ago, and engaged with a lot of our clients and the market more broadly around what's happening. I think it's it's fair to say it's still quite a mixed bag. Um, so from a data requirements perspective, whilst I think the the LPs have probably always been quite clear on on, on what they would like to see, and that is getting clearer. There is still a huge amount of kind of probably divergence in data being collected or potentially the data that might need to be collected either from a from an LP perspective or a or a regulatory perspective. Um and you know very different across different territories as well. Um, so whilst there is some, you know, whilst you've got things like the data convergence project, uh, which, which is coming through, which is whilst you've got various regulations coming through, there is still a lot of different requirements that people are trying to collect. And I think we've seen some people get out into a quite a first mover advantage on that and, you know, get quite sophisticated systems in place for collecting data. Um, and they've got really good insights coming from their, from their portfolio companies or if they're a fund of fund or for, for, from, for, for, from the funds themselves. Um, but there is a, there is still a quite a, big range of, of, of activity going on with, with, I think, some people getting out, out in front. Uh, but probably, I'd say, less potential pressure to collect that, that data coming through than perhaps we anticipated coming about 18 months to two years ago, when, when certainly you saw quite a lot of weight of activity coming through from SFDR and, and other European regulations that were coming through. That created a whole range of activity that that that, that people started to look at, that's probably waned a little bit in the past six months. Yeah, and I think um, looking at how data started to be collected for ESG purposes, it was all about kind of spreadsheets and, and filling that in and working with consultants. Now there are more sophisticated tools out there that can automate the collection of that, that data, which now means like, what are you going to do with that data? How do you use it to create an advantage? And I think we've seen um, uh, some work going on around these kind of uh, ESG linked incentives that might appear in in LPAs in the in the future, and it'll be interesting to see how performance from an investor standpoint and from a fund perspective how how that evolves because that's what the data is ultimately going to be used to drive, as well as 
comparables and performance kind of stats within the market, which again, we talk about a wider investor pool. They're absolutely interested in anything that's kind of um, world positive. You know, you know, impact investing is absolutely massive on their agenda. So they're going to be looking to invest in funds that are very transparent around this data, but also have incentives linked to them hitting the KPIs that they're setting out within their funds. And I think that Tom touched on the, the impact investment piece there as well. Certainly in the last six, nine months, we have seen a, a, an uptick in the amount of impact funds um, that we are talk, talking to both for our existing clients and actually potential new clients. So that is an area which is which is still getting a lot of interest, and I think in a in a, in a difficult market like this, you know, uh, uh, where 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 raising is not necessarily easy, as we've, as we've as we've already talked about, actually impact is is getting quite a lot of interest in interest still, um, and that obviously comes with the need not only to to measure the impact of the fund itself, but also the ESG data collection that comes underneath that. So therefore, therefore that that is getting quite a lot of focus as well. Another interesting area is co-investments and either through co-investment vehicles or just directly LPs co-investing alongside uh, GPs. So I don't know if you've observed an uptick to, to that as well. I mean, I've seen some new kind of innovative ways of creating products in that space. So uh, and it, for example, it actually uses some of the technology that everyone's talking about in the market around tokenizing Funds. So I've seen one of our larger clients create three different funds that are co-invest, and they're looking to use that technology to create like portability for the investors between different investments. But actually, as a as a trend, I haven't seen or, or read any particular statistics that suggest that that has increased in any significance. Looking ahead and just trying to maybe look through a crystal ball on what are the main challenges and opportunities for both LPs and GPs when it comes to fundraising and fund structuring? And if you think that these challenges we're seeing now will will persist into 2024? I certainly think um, based on what we're seeing and the conversations we're having with clients, it, none of us have a crystal ball, um, but certainly... I think some of these challenges will persist and people are going to have to continue to be creative around around the ways they're engaging with 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 their stakeholders how they're how they're structuring various different products um how they're looking at uh, at their broader fundraising activity because certainly the 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 stats we would get from our own activity in the market and 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 those in the market would show that you know that that level of fundraising is not come back at the moment and isn't necessarily going to come back within the next six, 12 months. Now, none of us have a crystal ball and we can't necessarily <laughs> predict that. So, uh, so I would, I would suggest that, you know, people are still going to be um, working within a far reduced fundraising pool um, and therefore, you know, making sure that that capital is secured and, and, and making sure that there is a good um, kind of pipeline of innovative products coming through that, that, that in, in sectors that people are interested in. You know, certain sectors will will be buoyant through this cycle, right? There's, there, there are certain sectors that have continued to, to be buoyant, and I think they, they will continue to, to be buoyant. Um, other areas might be a, a bit more, more, more difficult. And I guess these sectors are, I guess, technology, maybe healthcare. Yeah, technology, healthcare, as I said, the impact space. Um, you know, there's still lots of... of Good, good, good activity going going on in in those spaces, um, and uh, and yeah, you can still see that there is a there is 
capital flowing towards those types of funds. Um, now, that's not always the same on a global basis, uh, and I think some will do will do better than others. Um, you know, I, do, I think we've also got to. So, you know, it is a difficult environment. Um, I think we've got to remember though that there is still a lot of dry powder out there for a number of these funds. So, um, and you know, that gives still, I think, as the as the markets do type to find their level. Who knows when that will be, right? We none of us quite know. Again, we don't have a crystal ball in terms of when valuations gonna, are going to are going to find a level where people are comfortable. Whether that be in the in the equity markets or, or the real or the real estate market, there is quite a lot of dry powder out there, and um, so people do still have buying power to go and do things. Um, and I think as we start to see some of the markets, the exit market open up, uh, that will start to accelerate the fundraising activity as well. When that happens, um, we'd all have to know, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's given, it's given everyone some time to step back, look at their strategy, look at what they're doing, look at new opportunities and really rethink this current kind of downturn, slowdown. It's not a COVID you know, we're gonna we're optimistic. We're gonna be bouncing back hopefully in the next twelve to twenty-four months. But what it has done is given our clients an opportunity to kind of take some time to really think about what they're doing, what they're focusing on. Uh, many are looking at how they're operating internally and whether that's as efficient as it can be. Working with the likes of ourselves as a fund administrator to uncover new opportunities to either um, create kind of process efficiencies or to identify new areas of value, i.e. look at how they can potentially access a new wider pool of investors. So we as a fund administrator as well are having to adjust to all of this and look at how do we create more value for our clients, just like GPs are looking at how they create more value for their investors. Absolutely. I guess we all have to to wait and see how things will play out. And just before we leave our listeners, I was wondering what's next for for you, for Aztec, in terms of uh, your growth plans or how you're looking to expand your client services. We touched on a few things already, but maybe just give us an overview. Yeah, so we're continuing to... um, to build the business um, in partnership with clients effectively. So you know, we've always taken a very client-led strategy to how we, to how we evolve the business. You'll um, be aware that we, we started our US business a few years ago. Um, that, that, is, that is continuing to scale and, and work with a number of our clients now across that US market. We're, we're really excited by the prospects that that can bring. Um, we've now got our first people on the ground in Ireland. Um, so we have an office in Kilkenny. And are going through our, uh, our, our our regulatory approvals at the moment for for to to service Irish funds, um, which again is really exciting and, and gives us an ability to to service clients not only across our kind of more traditional European locations, but also now into the US and, and into Ireland. And then and then over time we will we will consider what our Asia strategy is more is more broadly, um, albeit we are kind of very focused on those markets at the moment. Um, in terms of how we're expanding our service offering. Um, uh, you know, Tom's probably in some ways better to talk about that than I am. Um, but you know, as we, you know, we are expanding out our ESG services. Um, we're looking at a, a range of different client services that, uh, in terms of how we can help clients on it from a regulatory reporting perspective, um, how we, we we can we can support them from from an, from an AFIM perspective, um, and then obviously Tom's touched on some of the areas we're looking at in terms of retailization and tokenization and uh, and and kind of kind of. Making sure we're at the forefront of those trends um, at, at the moment, so that we can support clients as they are 
as they are getting more and more interested in those areas, which, which I think they are actually. Yeah, absolutely. And with, with a lot of the consolidation going on in the market, we as a business have to look at that global platform and where we're playing and where we need to be for our clients, as James has said. From a, from a kind of technology standpoint, there are some fairly kind of disruptive things in inverted commas that are kind of happening to the industry. And we want to be at the forefront of leveraging those uh, tools and technologies to create propositions that are easy to consume, easy to understand, and actually bring tangible value to our clients. So we're doing a lot of work around digital assets, around tokenization, around um, democratization. And they they do kind of link in many ways, um, but those propositions are yet to be fully formed and will come out shortly. So, so look out for those. Um, but also looking at capabilities like generative AI, which is a huge investment focus for VCs. It's one of the areas that James referenced earlier in terms of technology growth that's seen a huge amount of money going into it. But how do you as an organization leverage something like that? And we're looking at how we use it internally, how we can use it to create um, capabilities for our clients. So it's all about giving our clients the tools they need to scale. So when the market kicks back in, we have the best proposition set out there for that. We're also having... You know, like I'm sure anybody in this industry has looked at many conversations around data more broadly. So whilst we're in, we're investing heavily at Aztec in terms of our own data services and and and, and data propositions. You you also may have seen that we, um, our founder Edward Moore, launched um, a company called Lantern recently, um, which Tom was actually very heavily involved in, uh, and that's really looking at how we can support clients or how Lantern can can, can support clients with that whole portfolio monitoring. Um, and 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 fun fun monitoring these going forward as well, which is you know in a market like this becomes a really important thing for people to be looking at. Perfect, this all sounds great. We will wrap up there for now. Thanks again, James and Tom, and thank you, listener, for tuning in. If you like the podcast, please don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. And see you again in the next episode. <laughs>